I have uh, a wee plaque up in my office upstairs, and uh, it says, uh, I know you can read that, my wife says I don't listen to her, at least I think that's what she said. Um, you can guess who gave me that. And uh, sadly, I have to, admit, have to admit to being guilty as charged, and uh, often we don't, we don't listen. Maybe uh, if your parents, you'll have been trying to emphasize something to your children, uh, and they're here and there and everywhere, and you say to them, are you listening to me, or, or do you hear me? Or maybe your teacher in school uh, doing that. And here James wants to, in his letter, we're continuing with James's letter, he wants to really impress on the people the importance of listening to God, but then not only listening, uh, but uh, responding. So we're going to read today, we're going to continue with James, we're still in chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 19 uh, down to the end of the chapter. And just think about this for a few moments this morning as we share together. So let me read from James chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let's pray together as as we turn to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, letter written by the, the, the very brother of our Lord Jesus. And we pray that as he tried to encourage and challenge the the earliest believers, that we will also be encouraged and challenged by what he wrote, and that you will speak to us this morning by your Holy Spirit, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, James, of course, is writing to first century Christians. They've been scattered from Jerusalem by increasing persecution, and they're facing opposition and pressure, which is increasing gradually uh, from the Jews and then from the Romans. Many of them are experiencing hardship. They've they've lost everything. They've left their their homes, their businesses. Uh, And James writes to encourage, but also to challenge them. He wants to challenge them to put their faith uh, into practice. It's easy when we face criticism, as as they did, or opposition of any kind, it's easy to to resort to to harsh words, to hasty words, uh, to angry words. Uh, It can happen when we we face opposition or criticism because of our faith. That's why James says, uh, be slow to speak. Uh, I I can think of many times uh, when I've been too quick to speak. I'm sure you can as well. It's something that's very common to us. Uh, And hasty words can lead to anger. And anger, James says, doesn't help us to live the way that God wants. Man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God uh, desires. Rather, he says, be quick to listen. Be slow to speak, slow to respond, and slow to be angry. Uh, to hear what God is saying in a hostile world. Very different circumstances now uh, than, than those which uh, um, James is living through. But we need to be listening to what God says. So really this morning, I just want to ask you two questions. First is, are, are you listening? 
Are, are you listening? You see, it, it's crucial to listen to God, to listen to our, to our Creator, the one, the one who knows best. It's, it's like reading the Maker's instructions when you get a, a washing machine or a car or whatever. Reading the Maker's instructions to see how best uh, to use it. And the, the primary way in which God speaks to us today is through His Word, of course. We have the whole of the Bible, we have the Old Testament with all the teaching of the prophets, uh, we have all the teaching of Jesus, we have the, the, the stories of the early church, we have the letters from early believers. Uh, God speaks to us through his word. And it's important that we listen because God's word offers salvation. Verse 21 there, accept the word planted in you which can save you. You see, God's word points to Jesus. And Jesus is our only means of salvation. Uh, when, when Peter was speaking also to early believers in Jerusalem, he said, salvation is found in no one else. There's no other name uh, by which we may be saved. God's word offers salvation. God points us to Jesus who offers salvation. And secondly, God's word offers freedom. In verse 25, uh, he described, uh, James describes God's word as the perfect law that gives freedom. Aaron was looking at this uh, last week. The current thinking is that uh, freedom comes by throwing off all, all restraints, all constraints, and, and following your heart. We often see that written or hear someone say, you have to follow your, your heart. But when we follow our hearts and throw off constraints, it doesn't bring freedom. When we refuse to listen to God, it brings enslavement. Uh, it brings chaos. Writing way back in the Old Testament, or speaking way back in the Old Testament, the prophet Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things. When we follow our hearts, uh, they lead us into all sorts of things which are wrong. We become slaves to every changing fashion, every changing philosophy, uh, which James here describes as shifting shadows. We follow our hearts, we're here and there and everywhere. Ignoring God's word causes chaos. It doesn't bring freedom. Uh, we lived in Lima for a, a number of, of years, and uh, in Lima, traffic lights are, are advisory. They're, they're not mandatory. Uh, when you get to junction, people just do it. It's like, who dares wins? It's the SAS. And you end up with situations like this, and you can sit there for 15 minutes while people try to sort it out. Because when you lay aside the guidance and the regulations, it causes chaos. So you see junctions like this. Have you seen the old Silent Keystone Cops movies? That's what driving in Lima is often like. When we ignore the guidance, when we don't listen, uh, it brings chaos. But listening to God's word brings freedom. Freedom from sin. Life is God intended. That's why James says, read carefully, listen to what God is saying. Listen to God's word. And God's word offers blessing. Uh, verse 25 uh, there uh, someone who listens to God's word will be blessed in what he does. Uh, if we know what God says, it will bring blessing to us and through us to others. It doesn't mean that life will always be easy. Life wasn't easy for, for James' uh, readers. Uh, and it won't be easy for us today. Uh, it didn't mean that after listening to, to the James' letter being read that all their, their problems would disappear suddenly. But it does give assurance of, of forgiveness, uh, of freedom from guilt, from the guilt, guilt of our sin. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews says that uh, as we turn to God, we can be cleansed from a guilty conscience. And psychologists tell us that so many people today suffer from guilt. They, they, they carry guilt from things in the past, and they just can't free themselves from that. Uh, and God's word offers uh, blessing and, and freedom as we respond to it. Freedom from that sin which mars and spoils our lives. But we won't know what God's word says, on, on, or what God says, just unless we make an effort to listen. That's why James says we have to look intently 
at what God's word says. Verse 25, the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. Not just to read and move on, not just to move on past it and to think it applies to someone else. See, the early believers only had the Old Testament and a few letters like this that the apostles were starting to write. We now have the whole of the Bible. We have all the teaching by Jesus and the early church and all the letters and all the Old Testament with its, its laws and the words of prophecy. Uh, and we have it preserved for us to read and to learn from. I wonder how much time we spend in it. Compared to the time we give to all other aspects of our lives, our work, our studies, our family, uh, our leisure activities, are we too busy or preoccupied sometimes to, to listen to what God says? See, are we listening? Are we listening? And secondly, are you doing? Are you doing? You see, James says it's not enough to listen to what God says. Look at verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And he gives a simple illustration then. He gives the illustration of a, of a man looking at himself in a mirror. Uh, and not acting on what, what, he, what he sees. Uh, last week on Sunday, actually, very unusually, we were, we were at a wedding. Of course, before I went out, I, I stopped in the mirror in the hall to check that my tie was right, and the suit was nice, and I was looking dapper and handsome and all those things. And sadly, the mirror doesn't lie. But um, if I saw a mark on my suit or my tie or cricket and just held out, wouldn't it be stupid? I'm sure you looked in the mirror before you came out this morning, if you're here. If you don't act on what the mirror shows you, then you may as well not have looked. And it's a very simple illustration, but it simply shows that if we read God's word and don't act on it, we may as well not, not have, have looked at it. Just like looking in a mirror and, and not acting on whatever you see is wrong would be foolish. You have to put it into practice. There are, are lots of academics who know the Bible through and through. They, they, they know every word, of it. they know the Greek, they know the Hebrew. Uh, this was true in, in, in James' day, of course, some of the Pharisees knew, knew the Bible back to front, the Old Testament, they were experts in it. But it's possible to know all that and not put it into practice. Not to do what it says. And James says, to do so is to deceive yourself, to kid yourself. If you listen to God and then don't do what he says, you're just kidding yourself. And he's very clear in this. He said, faith must result in action. Hearing must lead to doing. Hearing what God says must be followed by doing what he says. And you know, Jesus himself said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? That's what Jesus said to the people who were listening to him. Uh, Christians are often accused of hypocrisy. People hate hypocrisy. People will look at Christians and say, you call yourself a Christian, look, look, look at what you're doing. Uh, people hate it when you, you, you say one thing, but don't do it when you know what you should do and don't. Um, we're all aware this week of a Scottish MP who's got into a lot of trouble because she, was, she tested positive for coronavirus and then got the tree and, and so on. Broke all the rules, knowing what was right to do. And people immediately are up in arms. But, but they can be like that about us too. When a Christian's life doesn't, uh, doesn't back up their words, then people see through that. And James gives us three key bits of evidence that we're putting God's word into practice. Here there, he says, are, yeah, are, you, are you controlling your tongue? Are you caring for those in need? And are you avoiding the sin that's so prevalent in our society? These are all difficult things, and we struggle with them. We all struggle to control our tongues. Uh, we all tend to look out for ourselves. And it's so easy to be drawn into whatever is going on in our society. And James goes on to deal with each of these in detail. We'll be looking at these over the next uh, few weeks. The whole of chapter 2 uh, is devoted to uh, not showing favoritism, to caring for those in need. Uh, and chapter 3 is all about the tongue. He says it's a restless evil full of deadly poison. It's difficult. 
in chapter 4, he speaks of the sins of society, and he says that friendship with the world is hatred towards God. James is emphasizing these things because he knows there are things that the people struggled with, and he struggled with, and Paul struggled with, and we struggled with. But he says this is the evidence that we're allowing God's word to change us. This is what people will see if we're living out our faith. You see, it's so easy to be drawn into what is wrong. That's what he says in verse 21. Get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. So easy, particularly in these days of, of the internet and social media, so easy to be drawn into things that, that are wrong, that, that would lead us away uh, from God. And so he says in verse 27 there, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's true religion. It's the evidence of our faith. The evidence of our faith is how we live. If there's no evidence, then that suggests that there's maybe no real spiritual life there. Chapter 2, verse 14, we look at this in a couple of weeks' time. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Where's the evidence that that salvation has really occurred? So you see, listening is not enough. Listening isn't enough. But doing isn't enough either. I think it's very, very important that we understand this. Some feel that uh, the good life James describes can achieve salvation. So they say, look, what, what's all this about repentance and, and conversion? Uh, uh, what's, what's all this? James simply says to do good things, and God accepts that. But that is not the basis of our salvation. That's the evidence for our salvation. Uh, and James is very clear on that. Look at verse 18. Aaron looked at this uh, last week. God chose to give us birth through the word of truth. That, that's how we, we, we come to faith. That's how new birth occurs. Not, not by the things that we do. And verse 21, we just read a moment ago. Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. It's God's word uh, pointing us to Jesus, which brings salvation. Living out our faith is important. It's essential. But it doesn't bring salvation. Uh, Jesus in, in the parable of the sower or something called the parable of the soils says that what's important is how we respond to God's word. When you hear God's word maybe in, in Sunday school, it could be in church it could be back at school or an SU camp or something you were at way back when and you can hear God's word and many people do but it's how we respond, it's if we allow God's word uh, to take root in our lives and then to bear fruit the fruit that we've been just looking at that uh, is what brings salvation when God's word takes root in our lives and we accept it and we allow it to grow Paul of course is very clear and really says exactly the same thing as James Paul says it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves it is a gift of God not by works salvation doesn't come through doing things sometimes people say well James has got this wrong but, but James is clear salvation comes from responding to God and then putting that into practice in our lives. And Paul says exactly the same. He goes on, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. We were saved to do good works, to live a life that points to God. Not, we're not saved by doing those things. We're saved by listening to God's word, by responding to it. And then the evidence of that is by what we do, how we put that into practice in our lives. You see, James' teaching is very practical. It's as valid today as ever it was when, when he wrote this letter to early believers who had been scattered, and ones that, that he would normally have spoken to. He would normally have spoken to them as he taught the church in Jerusalem. 
but that he had to write to because they, they were scattered here and there. And he wanted to challenge him. He wanted to encourage him. He wanted to say, you need to respond to God's word and have him, you need to listen, sorry, to God's word. You need to listen carefully and having done that, you need to respond. You need to put it into practice. Not to achieve your salvation, but to show to others the salvation that God has given you. And to lead them to really say, do you know what? These Christians have something that, that I need to explore. I need to find out about it because I can see the difference that their faith has made. See, faith begins by responding to God's word, uh, to the salvation offered by Jesus. We, we've been singing about it earlier. can't be achieved by anything we do, no matter how good we are. But genuine faith must be demonstrated in our lives, in our behaviour. And James was saying this to people who were under pressure, to people who were struggling. He wasn't saying, oh, well, you know, things are difficult, so don't worry too much about this. He said, no, and this has got to be seen in the way we speak, the way we act with, with one another. It's, it's got to be seen in our lives. So are you listening to what God says? And I say this to myself too, looking in the mirror. Are, are, are we listening to what God says? And are we doing what God says. Because James says that that's the mark of a true Christian. Someone who has listened to God, who has repented of his or her sin, who has come to faith, and who's now living out that faith so that others can see. So it's a challenge which is timeless, a challenge uh, for believers in the first century, and it's a challenge for us today. And James' letter is, is very practical. It's many people's favourite letter uh, in the Bible, despite some theologians' misgivings about it, uh, because it, it doesn't let us escape it doesn't let us escape from the reality of what our faith must mean to us. But of course we, we remember that uh, our, our salvation is only possible because of what Jesus achieved for us on the cross. Uh, and, and the whole of the New Testament points to that. Points to Jesus coming. The, the prophets in the Old Testament spoke of Jesus. Uh, all of the Old Testament points towards Jesus and all of the New Testament emanates from Jesus, from, from his, his death. And here's what Paul says, writing to the Corinthians in Second Corinthians chapter 5. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus took our sin, uh, died in our place, was separated from God, took, took the punishment which should have been ours, so that God didn't treat us as our sins deserved but offers us salvation, not just because he overlooks our sin, but because Jesus took our sin and dealt with it and, and paid the price for it. That's why Paul can say, if anyone is in Christ, and that's just a, a, word of, a way of saying, if anyone is a believer, anyone is a, a Christian, anyone has committed their lives to God through Jesus and sought forgiveness, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. There's new life. There's new birth. Uh, being in Christ, being a follower of Jesus, uh, trusting in him for our salvation. And Jesus gave us a simple way uh, to remember uh, his death. He gave us just two ordinary everyday symbols and said, when when you're sharing a meal together, remember uh, my death for you. He said this to his disciples and believers right down through the generations have celebrated uh, Jesus' death in this way. He said, when you break bread together, Remember my body, which is broken for you. Remember that I was, I was nailed to a cross. That, that, that's the, the price that your sin cost me. That's the price I had to pay. And he said, when you share in wine together, remember that my blood was shed for you, for your forgiveness. So it was always a shedding of blood for forgiveness, right through the Old Testament sacrifices. 
and Jesus shed his blood for, for us. And we're going to remember simply this morning, if you've come prepared, I know this is not the way we normally remember at all, but things are not normal at the moment. Uh, this is not the way we, we normally remember Jesus' death. If you've come prepared and you're a follower of Jesus and you want to share in a simple reminder, then if you've got uh, bread and, and juice with you, uh, and if you haven't, don't, don't worry because we're simply remembering, we're giving thanks. You can give thanks in your hearts. And if, if you're sitting at home uh, and you're prepared as well, then please join with us uh, if, if you can. But if you're a follower of Jesus, we want to take this moment just to give thanks, to give thanks for our salvation, uh, for Jesus who died in our place. So let's, let's pray together, and then I'm going to read those familiar words from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that when you saw us in our rebellion and sin, uh, and you could have destroyed us, we thank you that you didn't treat us as our sins deserved. But rather, we thank you that you had mercy on us and that we sent Jesus, your precious, sinless Son, who took our sin upon himself and as a result died the death that we should have died, uh, suffered separation from you so that we wouldn't have to. And we thank you that uh, he did that willingly uh, for us, despite our unworthiness. And we thank you that there's nothing we can do to achieve our salvation, but that there's nothing that we need to do because Jesus has paid the price uh, for our sin, which enables us to have a restored relationship with you. And we thank you for these simple symbols and reminders uh, which he gave to his disciples. We thank you for the bread which reminds us of Jesus' body which is broken for us, and the cup which reminds us that his blood was shed for us, so that we might be forgiven. And we ask that as we remember and reflect again in our hearts, you'll help us to be thankful, and help us again to commit ourselves to following you, uh, and to serving you and to loving you. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read those well-known words from, uh, from 1 Corinthians. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was, took, he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you've come prepared, then maybe you want to share in bread together as we remember Jesus body broken for us. And if not, then we can simply give thanks in your hearts.